The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. This episode of the Paul Leslie Hour welcomes a singer, songwriter, recording artist. Gretchen Peters' work has resonated with many. She's released several albums, and in May of 2018, we're going to see the release of her album Dancing with the Beast an inductee of the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. She's been called one of Nashville's greatest talents. She's been covered by everyone from Faith Hill, Neil Diamond, Brian Adams, Martina McBride, Etta James. We could keep on going. (laughs) I have a lot of memories from seeing you perform, and it's a great pleasure to welcome you with us. I'm really happy to be here with you. What would you say is the dominant theme in your songs? Um, That's a great question, because I think songwriters and writers in general tend to have sort of old wounds that they go back to revisit. I would say that my songs tend to be populated with people that are trying to find their way through or out of situations that where they don't feel they have a lot of control or, or uh, where they feel the situations that are bad or, and a lot of times the characters, I, I, I'm a storyteller. So my songs are peopled with characters for the most part. Um, a lot of times they're women, sometimes children. I, I, I've written several songs from the point of view of a child. Sometimes what I like to call the omniscient child, which is sort of a, you know, the child and the song is kind of the narrator, but then also knows things that, that you know, that a normal child wouldn't know. But I, I tend to go back to this, this idea of uh, how people cope with being in less than ideal situations or situations where they feel trapped. And, you know, I honestly don't know why that is. It's probably cheaper than therapy. But <laughs> but uh, it's just something that I I'm fascinated with because I think I'm I'm so awed by the resilience of humans and how they get through hard things. Hmm. So one of these characters in one of your songs and one of the stories that you tell is the character real to you? Absolutely. I, in fact, I I teach songwriting seminars, songwriting workshops. And I tell my students, one of the first things I tell my students is you cannot write an authentic, true song until the characters start speaking to you and telling you what their story is. You can't just apply a story to a song and and expect that people will, will believe it. I think you have to empathize and go deep inside the characters before the the song becomes real and feels real and authentic. And audiences, listeners, they know this. It's on an instinctive level. They know whether you're telling an emotional truth or not. So it's very important for an artist to tell the truth. I think it is. And I think people uh, sometimes mix that up. They mix up the truth with the facts. Now, the facts are not not the thing. We're not journalists. The truth is is an emotional truth that that resonates inside of all of us, the writer and the listener. That says, "Yes, that's real. That's that's how people feel. That's how I feel." 
because really I think, you know, songs and art in general are like a, a mirror that we use to reflect back on ourselves and see our, you know, see our stories reflected back on us. So, so yes, they have to be truthful. Do they have to be factual? No, definitely not. One of the things that I recall from seeing you perform was how much of an emotional response there was from the audience, me included. What grows through oh. what goes through your head when you see somebody really, really present with what you're singing? Uh, it's 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 why I love performing, Paul. I mean, it is the reason that I'm there. I, I so much of what I do and have done in my in my career has you know I I live in my head. I I'm you know, I'm either writing or I'm in the studio making, you know, you know, recording and making, you know, essentially a series of artistic decisions. And there's so much delayed response to that. You know, you write a song and, you know, you don't know, or at least I don't know how people are going to react to it, how they're going to respond. So there's so much delayed response with that, that when you get out on a stage, it's so immediate. And there's this, there's just this quality there's something, something almost to me, almost church-like about how I often say it's, you know, it's a bunch of of people, me included, uh, sitting or standing in the dark, having a common experience, and I include myself in that because because the reaction of the audience moves me too. It moves me deeper into the song, and you know, in, on a really great night, I lose myself. I I I don't. I'm. It's like I'm not there. I'm just inside the song, just like I hope they are. So it's, um, it's a place that you, you know, you don't get to on every given performance, but you're, I'm always aiming to go there. And I, I find it so moving that, you know, when I, when I see people who are moved to tears, for instance, I think, yeah, we're, 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 there's something incredibly cathartic because music has been cathartic to me since I was, a child. I mean, I, that's why I was drawn to it. So I think we're, you know, we're all having that catharsis at, at the same moment. It's, it's really, really powerful to me. Your website, GretchenPeters.com has some of the lyrics from this album coming out, Dancing with the Beast. Very interesting lyrics. I had quite a time reading them and I wanted to know what made you decide on Dancing with the Beast being the title track. Well, I wrote the songs for this album in 2017, and at any point dur- during the making of, a, of an album, some some themes sort of start to naturally emerge, just kind of organically. And I thought there were there were a few potential titles on the album contained in the lyrics, but I thought. You know, 2017. There, there's there's a lot of beasts about right now in the world. It's it's a very hard and brutal kind of a time, and that's what a lot of these, really most of these songs are about. And I thought, you know, the thing that that I loved about Dancing with the Beast, the song and the title, was that sort of everybody has their own beast. Um, it, it can be addiction. It can be abuse. It can be depression. It can be the political situation in the world. It can, you know, it's everybody has their own beast or beast. And we're all, we're all trying to, we're all dancing with them. We're all trying to figure out how to be in this world that seems 
really, to me, more brutal and colder than it has in a long, long time. One of the songs on there, Arguing with Ghosts, you wrote with a, a couple of other songwriters. And there's a few on there that you co-wrote. How different mm-hmm. is it for you to collaborate with another person? Well, I'm I'm not a natural co-writer. I'm I, I tend to flee from from co-writing situations because I think because uh, and part of it is I've been doing this for you know I've been in Nashville for thirty years. I've been doing this for a long time, and my natural my natural state to write is alone. But I have found I have found a very small group of co-writers that I feel a deep level of trust with. I think trust is the first thing that you have to feel because you have to sit in the room with somebody and really, you know, talk about some pretty deep down in there stuff and bear your soul. And you also have to be willing to say stupid things or have stupid ideas. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I used to say, it's kind of like blind dating and having to show up naked, you know, <laughs> but So I I found just a couple of people, really a handful of people that I really feel a deep level of trust with. And what that gives me in return uh, for any discomfort that I feel about co-writing, what it gives me is this access to ideas that I never would have had, which is a wonderful thing. When you're, you know, when you've been doing this as long as I have you, you kind of tend to repeat yourself or you feel like you're repeating yourself. And I, I, I really relish the idea of sitting down with my, my, one of my, free, my probably my most frequent co-writer, Ben Glover, and hearing what ideas he has that never would have occurred to me. So that's kind of, that's what I, what I get out of it. What are your memories of writing the song, Arguing with Ghosts? I remember I was I wrote it with Matresa Berg, who's a dear friend of mine, and Ben Glover, who I mentioned, who's also a good friend. And I remember sitting at the three of us sitting at Matresa's house, and we actually were talking about how Nashville has changed so much. It's in the middle of a real boom cycle, and Matresa, who's a Nashville native, said, "I get lost in my hometown." And we thought immediately, all three of us knew we had an opening line to a song. And we just, so we started talking about what the song might be about, what it might look like. And eventually it turned into really, it was about disorientation, but it was really more in the end about the disorientation of growing older and not even recognizing yourself or your surroundings because, you know, how did I get here? Which I think all three of us could relate to. I mean, you get to, you know, you, you do enough revolutions around the sun, you start thinking, is this me now? I mean, it's, you think of yourself as sort of fixed in the past, I think. Hmm. You have a song on there. I was reading the lyrics to Love That Makes a Cup of Tea, and it made me wonder mm-hmm. about your mother. Tell us about her. Oh, you know, I don't know. That's very intuitive that you that you drew that conclusion because my mother is the one that gave me that song, literally in a dream. My mo- my mom passed away in December of 2016, and she was a very earthy kind of. She was she was she was a party girl. She was fun, but she was very earthy and very practical, and she was not the kind of person that really wanted to 
engage in uh, you know deep philosophical conversation. She showed her love by doing practical things. You know, she'd make you. Well, actually, she never made a cup of tea. She'd make you a bourbon and bourbon on the rocks. But <laughs> but you know, she she was she was that kind of person. She. I think she believed that love was uh, really demonstrated in real, real gestures. And anyway, last year, 2017, she'd been, she'd been gone for about a year. And I, I've had a couple of dreams about her and I always really welcome that because I feel like I can be with her again. And she sort of, you know, I was in my dream fretting about something and she said, you know, honey, there's, there's love that makes a cup of tea. There's the kind of love that makes a cup of tea. You know, it's, it does, it's not all highfalutin, flighty, you know, theoretical uh, love. There's practical love too. And that, I just thought that was the most beautiful, the most beautiful idea. And it's really true. It's, it's, I think when, when we feel like the world is an unkind place, I think sometimes those really down to earth sort of simple gestures of love mean the most to us. That's the kind of love we want. Yeah. One of the other songs, The Boy from Rye, I thought that tells a really interesting story about a moment in development of a person. What inspired you to write that? Well, I I, I have... Um, I'm a very image-driven writer. I mean, I, I tend to... I tend to get ideas by what I see in my mind. And I have a lot of memories of my childhood in New York, especially at the beach and the summers. I mean, a lot of my best and most kind of the memories that are most strong for me are of that time and that place. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about being 13, 14 years old, how that was. And I thought, you know, I don't think, I don't think I've heard many songs that really talk about what a treacherous, uh, dangerous time adolescence is for girls. Uh, you, you, you kind of cross this invis- invisible line between feeling like you're the kind of captain of your own ship. And then all of a sudden you, I think you become aware that you're being judged in a certain way and observed and, and even, and judged and sexualized too. And there's this sense of loss of power that happens. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a very treacherous time for, for girls. And I thought this is, this is something I really want to dive into. I, I don't think I've heard a lot of songs that really, really, really talk about this. And it, yeah, it's going to be a hard thing to write, but, I want to write it because I want to say it. I want to, I want to say the thing I've really found throughout my writing career. The things that kind of scared me a little bit were always the things that were worth pursuing. And this subject matter felt really important to me, but also scared me a little bit. I mean, it's, it's very, it feels very vulnerable to talk about how that felt to be that age and, and judged by boys and uh, to put it with also to be put into this, thrown into the state of competition with your friends suddenly, but it felt really important to me. And I, I'm, I'm really, I'm proud of that song. I'm glad that I was able to say what I wanted to say. There was a Nashville songwriter, John Goodwin, who said that the beauty standard is the last acceptable form of discrimination. Hmm. 
Isn't that something? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's very true. And I think, I think girls, you know, you, you can't, you can be the, you can be the greatest parent in the world, but girls will receive that message from the world, you know, no matter what you do as a parent. So I think it's really important for artists to, you know, artists feel the artists stand in that, in that place a lot of times and say the things that nobody else will say. And I think it can be really powerful. I mean, I think about the messages that I got from the songwriters that I idolized when I was young. I think you can, you can influence things more than you think just by saying the thing. Hmm. What do you hope people get from your music? I hope that they get some kind of, catharsis for one thing I think and and also maybe um you know I maybe I guess really the same thing that I get from it which is you know oftentimes I'm writing my way through a song and I don't exactly know what it's about until I see the words on the page and then I go oh my god that's what I think that's what I think and I I kind of I, I kind of don't think it's much different for the listener than it is for me. It's, it's a sort of a, a crystallization of an idea that I had that was sort of, you know, moving around in me, but I, but I couldn't quite, you know, I couldn't quite verbalize it. I couldn't quite put my finger on. And I think that's a wonderful thing when that happens, when a song just puts it in a, in such a way that puts another slant on it in such a way that you kind of get it for the first time. Hmm. What you just said makes me wonder, what have you come to realize as a result of your writing? Well, that's a great question. Wow. (laughs) I think several things. I think that I have come to a place that I realize that truth is more important than beauty, and in fact is its own kind of beauty. I think in my early in my career, I was aiming to write something beautiful, but now I think it's more important to write something deeply true. I also believe that stories are probably the the building block. Uh, you know that 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 they are the most elemental, basic thing that everybody wants. Everybody wants to be told a story that makes them feel like they're seen. Hmm. And that's what I really want to do with my any kind of writing, I, I think, aims to do that, and really any kind of art. But um, I've learned, I think I've learned that the smallest story about the most specific person and the most specific kind of circumstance is the most likely to be universal for people. I always think about, the Grapes of Wrath, which is one of my favorite novels of all time. And I think you know, none of us that have read that in 2018, none of us that have read that were, were in the Dust Bowl, were Okies, were, you know, poor like that. Were, none of us, none of us experienced what those people in that book experienced. All of us feel something by being told the story. And I think, I think that's a really important important realization that that through the specific you get to the universal wow that's really profound hmm. 
At the top of the interview, I was listing some of the artists who have interpreted your songs. And I'm curious, sometimes a songwriter will will listen to the recording that an artist makes. They listen to the cover, and sometimes they really love it. And sometimes they like it, but they say, wow, that's surprising. I, I never would have heard it or imagined it done that way. So yeah. I wonder, what's the most surprising cover that you've heard of one of your songs? Hands down, it would have to be the Neville Brothers who recorded a song of mine called Over Africa. It was so surprising. It was so different that when I heard it, I was not sure it was my song. I mean, it was completely different arrangement. Everything about it was different. I loved it. I I mean, I really, I, I am, I tend to love it when an artist takes a song where they, where they feel that it should go. And the Neville brothers, you know, musicality is, is renowned. They're, they're amazing. And they took it to a place that was very Neville Brothers. And I loved it, but it was, it was literally almost unrecognizable to me at, at first listen. When I heard you perform the song Independence Day, I never had really, really in my head, or I guess I, I should say in my heart, I had never really felt the lyrics to that extent. It really, really just, it, it hit me. And I know it did a lot of, it does a lot of people. And I'm hoping you can yeah. just tell us what that's, what some of the things that people have told you, how that song has resonated with people. It, it's, it's been, that song has been such a huge gift to me over and over again, Martina McBride, who recorded it, has shared along the way many, many stories with me, and I've done the same with her, about people who have literally been in that situation that the woman in the song is in, abused, can't, you know, can't, can't find a way to get out of it. The other, and, 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 and I, I, I always know when I play that song and someone comes up to me afterwards and is crying and I can, I can kind of tell that it's someone who's been through that. There's just a certain thing that you can feel, you know, and, and I, and I used to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Like I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I made you so vulnerable in public, you know, kind of feeling, but I really feel honored by it now. I've, I've learned to, to accept it as the beautiful compliment that it is. And, and I usually just, you know, usually what's required is a big hug, you know, but the other thing that, that has been kind of more of a surprise to me and really moving to me is Martina and I both heard from a lot of law enforcement people who were, you know, who've dealt with situations like that over and over and over again. And for them to say, you know, you got it right. You really got it right. This is how it is, is, is again, is a huge compliment because you tell a story like that, that you haven't personally experienced and you just hope you, you just hope you get it right. You, you know, you need to get it right. You have to get it right. And that's what I mean about, you know, living with the characters until they really start speaking to you. I, I took 18 months to finish that song because I was so afraid of applying some kind of, you know, tying it all up with a bow at the end. I was, I didn't want to 
apply my own idea of how it should end. Um, but I was very afraid of the darkness of the, of the, the ending. And in the end, the characters just said, look, this is how it is. You know, and I, I, I succumbed to that. I'm, I, I'm lucky to have a pretty well-honed set of instincts that, you know, when I, he- when I hear that in my inner self, I, I listen. And because I could have tried to make a happy ending or some other kind of ending. And that was my kind of, that was my cerebral inclination. But thank God my gut said differently. Hmm. What are you most proud of? Oh, in, in, in life, in, in, do I get the, the whole enchilada? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am most proud of, I'm, I'm most proud of my son, honestly. I'm proud of being his mom. I'm proud of being a good mom. My son had serious challenges growing up. He's transgender. And I'm just, I'm in awe of his bravery. And I'm most proud of him, above and beyond anything else. Do you think that there are any misconceptions about Gretchen Peters? Oh, that's interesting. You know, I I don't worry very much about what people think of me anymore. I guess that's one of the blessings of getting older is you just start, you just kind of let that shit go, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I Maybe... If I were to guess, although anyone that's met me or knows me will know that this isn't true, but I, I would guess maybe people think I'm super serious all the time and nothing could be farther from the truth. I, I write, I'm very serious about writing. I'm very serious about songwriting. I'm, I'm not the kind of person that writes comic relief kind of songs, which really irks me when I get to a place like the Bluebird and everyone does their funny songs and I don't have any, but in, in life, other than that, other, I, I love a good laugh and I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't, I don't take myself seriously. <laughs> you, you just said you don't take yourself seriously, but on that note, how would you define yourself? Who is Gretchen Peters? I think I'm a person who's driven to create. And I would be creating no matter what if it wasn't songs. I, I that is my that seems to be what I'm supposed to do. So I am I'm a creator and and I am driven by that. I I mean that's what gets me up in the morning. I can't really envision a life without creating something every day. And I guess that would be the, probably the most elemental thing about me, really. One of the things about communication today, you just never know who is listening. So my last question, I'm just going to give you the microphone. Totally open-ended. Mm-hmm. What would you say, just person to person, to anyone who is tuned in, Right now, at this very moment, I would say have a conversation with someone and look in their eyes and don't look at your phone and don't listen to the alerts coming over your phone. Look at someone in the eye, just the person at the grocery store. Have a moment of real human connection with someone 
every single day because we are, I think, in danger of losing that. And I feel like I make connections with people through songs. I treasure that. But I think all of us, no matter what we do, can have communication, real human communication with people and real intimacy with people just by being with each other and paying attention. Absolutely. Great. Anyone out there, they can visit the website. It's GretchenPeters.com. Be on the lookout for that album. It's going to be coming out in May. It's called Dancing with the Beast. Miss Peters, thank you very much for sharing with us. Thank you so much, Paul. It was just a delight. Thank you. My pleasure. Until next time, it was an honor to interview you. Thank you so much. I enjoyed the heck out of it. Thanks. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right. Take care, Paul. You too. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment. For information, visit thepaulleslie.com. Thank you for being with us. Until next time.